Find the best odds in the country only on the free PropSwap app. Kevin Bowen here. You buy directly from other sports bettors who are ready to cash out. Join the rest of us and go to PropSwap.com right now. We're back. We're battling on Kevin's Corner. Voice uh, hanging on by a thread, but we're going to gut it out because um, <laughs> you just got to be tough in today's world. <laughs> and Rosie Bow needs a tough father and uh, a scratchy voice cannot uh, mean Kevin Bowen's weak. So here we are, Chris Presley. Across the way, Kevin Bowen in studio. We are one week away from Beers with Bowen. We are one week and one day away from the NFL draft. Beers with Bowen next Wednesday, April 28th, 8 o'clock at night. I can't wait. I'm I'm so looking forward to it. It's my favorite Beers with Bowen we do every year. Uh-huh. I love it. Yeah, you're uh you're our Todd McShay. You're our local Todd McShay and Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> but um it's gonna be a great turnout. YouTube will be live there as well. I hope we have some prizes to give away. And so uh, we usually save kind of draft scenarios for Beers with Bowen. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things to look at and kind of weigh and pros and cons and whatnot. So <coughs> we'll get into those next week uh, on Beers with Bowen. No podcast next week. It's all Beers with Bowen. Right. So you guys got to check that out Wednesday night live at 8 p.m. Today's podcast, I feel like you guys have really enjoyed a couple guests that we've had. And so we're going to have Lance Zerline, who is probably the draft analyst that has the best relationship with Chris Ballard. So I always think that's interesting. I was filling in today for Dan Dockich and yesterday and had Lance on the show. So we'll throw that in here. And then I really want to go over a lot of prospects, Chris. I know we've waited a little bit of time, you know, try to be all, all encompassing as we can prospect-wise, and doing some research. So focusing on the positions that I think are kind of of biggest need to the Colts, and we'll go there with those positions. And as always, Twitter questions, man. Yeah, and with Beers with Bowen, the way that we've been projecting this year in terms of right after a podcast, things changing, it'll be interesting to see if anything shakes up after after Beers with Bowen, obviously going into the draft. Who knows what the Colts are going to do? And, no. that's what, and that's what makes it difficult to to project. Yeah, I mean, and that's why we love the draft. Yeah. There's the unknown of it, and you never know until the team before you's picking and whatnot. So we'll hit on a lot of that next week and get in some prospects today. Yeah, let's let's talk about those prospects. You know, as we get closer, certain people start to pop out among the rest of the the other talent. You start to see different pro days, start to listen to interviews, things of that nature. Let's start with the wide receiver core. Who has caught your eye that might not be on certain people's radar, or might, but that you are kind of honing in on. Yeah, and the prospects that I think we'll go over today, Chris, will just kind of be taking these positions, wide out being a need, we'll get in some others as well, and try to assign where I feel like the Colts should look into that position. I know that's not how necessarily it comes off the board, but there's no point in time in debating, you know, whatever, Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and yeah. Jamar Chase, so... Guys that I like, you know, as early as day two, I really like Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. We've talked about Rondell Moore as well. Um, Amari Rogers from Clemson's just kind of a different slot, more of a possession guy. But I just feel like he's going to be so reliable for an NFL team as well. So I'm thinking early day three, can one of these guys fall? Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State is who I really like in that range. Now, again, he might not fall that far. But 
tons of touchdown production, big yeah. plays, not a lot of drops. You gotta like that. Uh, out of the SEC, Seth Williams from Auburn, kind of a bigger wideout, a little bit there. I think at times you watched him and you're like, wow, how is there not more production? So I mean, you gotta tap into some of that. But I think a possession wideout, I like him a little bit. Uh, maybe a little bit later in the draft. Um, Tamorian Terry out of Florida State had some huge plays in college. And as you'll get with any day three prospects that we're debating, there's obvious flaws. Yeah. And so you got to sift through some of that. Um, and then Jalen Darden, super small guy out of North Texas. I don't mean like small college, like small in stature, mm-hmm. but very gadgety. Uh, he had 19 touchdowns in nine games last year. Like, I don't care where you're playing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a ton of ton of production. So uh, he would be somebody that I think you look at as kind of a gadgety guy in the return game as well. So um, again, I don't I don't view wideout as like, oh my gosh, must take. I know some people want to see them take it very high, um, but I think that you can rely on the depth that will annually be there at that position. So those yeah. are some names I like at wideout. Yeah, big Amari Rogers guy. Obviously, the, his father was the first football jersey that I owned, T. Martin, coming out of Tennessee. Oh, shout out to T. Yeah. He's now what, OC at USC? Right? He, he was the OC at USC, then he moved to offense, uh, he moved to Tennessee, and now I can't remember where he went once we got the new regime in. But That's the last national title for the Vols, right? Or the last BCS, non, was it the last BCS national title? Yeah. It was Tennessee it was, the, it was year one, yeah. Yeah. All right, tight end. Let's jump into that because that's a, a very interesting draft dynamic yeah. as we have a Twitter question about that later as well. Yeah, tight end and, and not great draft depth either. Yeah. You know, I think you got to acknowledge that. So um, I like Brevin Jordan out of Miami. You'll hear from Lance Zerline a little bit later. Not as big of a Brevin Jordan fan as me. I like after the catch. And, like, I, I want to get pretty niche specific at tight end. I want to get the receiving threat, the guy that can make a play with the ball in his hands mm-hmm. type of thing. You know, Ebron, but take it to a little bit of another level. I think he's a better blocker than he gets credit for. Um, you know, Tommy Tremble, of course, is the popular name. Tremble moved him all over the field. That's attractive. But, man, he just had some moments at Notre Dame, some drops. And I just felt like I was left wanting so much more at Notre Dame that I could be extremely biased here. But I feel like that might be, like, kind of clouding my vision and be like, oh, I'm going to be left wanting more in the NFL, you know? Whereas, you know, you might all of a sudden show up and you might be a great, great player and a versatile guy that was playing behind some deeper tight ends and whatever. It's hard for a tight end to necessarily really flourish in the college game, not named Kyle Pitts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a tight end out of U- UCF that's pretty skinny, Jacob Harris. Definitely needs weight, but a really good special teams player. And I think kind of that hybrid wide out tight end mold. So. I like just kind of giving another chess piece. Yeah, that's how I look at tight end in this in this whatever third hybrid role. Kenny Yaboa out of Ole Miss is another kind of late or pick option transferred Ole Miss, and uh, he's a guy that I like as well. So again, I know it's not great depth. It's got to be tapped into, in my opinion, though, Chris. And if you took Brevin Jordan in round two, I wouldn't lose too much sleep over it. Uh, maybe you trade back. Maybe 54 overall is a little bit too much for him or too early for him. But uh, he's a guy that I do like. We obviously have a lot of positions to get through. But real quick, 
how many of these positions in terms of you mentioned the special teams does their potential on special teams help them get drafted especially day three yeah I, I think definitely um tight end would be one of those positions wide out I think would be another position um, you know linebacker is always very popular in that road road as well so um you know for the m- most part I think your day three picks it's just kind of an added bonus mm-hmm. uh, you know if you on day two, you're drafting guys to be starters. Um, so the Jacob Harris, to me, it's more of a day three pick. Um, but, yeah, that is that is a good point. Let's get to the two biggest needs that, you know, most Colts fans, you know, we've talked about 1A, 1B in terms of flip-flopping, offensive tackle, defensive end. Break those downs in terms of, you know, start with tackle and then, then, then jump to defensive end for guys that have kind of caught your eye. Yeah, Rick Venturi texted me earlier today and mentioned the Lance Zerline interview and mm-hmm. said he really enjoyed it. And so him and I started talking about O-line and edge rush. And he really likes, you know, feels like three are in a class by themselves on the O-line. Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, and then uh, Vera Tucker out of USC. Those three, it'd be a dream if one of them was there at 21. But outside of that, you know, I, I got the – Impression from him, he wasn't as high on Christian Darisau as maybe some of these mocks are. Uh, when you hear the term lazy with an offensive lineman, I think you get worried. You know, this is, uh, you know, I worry about me being lazy at whatever, 195, 200 pounds, 300 and some pounds, and you're lazy yep. and you're playing the NFL. That's a little bit worrisome. Now, does the presence of Quentin Nelson change your laziness or how much of a finisher you are in plays? Because there's obviously a lot to like about Darisau and what he did at Virginia Tech because he's played so much left tackle there. Now, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State is probably who I like the most, but again, mostly a right tackle. Now, played some left, but Mm -hmm. mostly a right. Do you feel like you can make the switch to left? Uh, Mahler, just a finisher, uh, I I think brings some tough and tenacity that I see more of a bully than I like. I would say the guy that I'm probably – far along with and and do like is Sam Cosme out of Texas. Kind of grew into his body, so more of a natural athlete, great footwork, Mm -hmm. uh, has some definite left tackle experience, was a captain at Texas, so we know what that means to Chris Ballard. And So those are things all to keep in mind. You know, at 21, is it too early? Is 54 too late? Uh, Probably. So finding that sweet spot there. But he's a name that I like. Obviously, Liam Eikenberg gets brought up a lot. I think he's solid. I know that sounds like negative connotation, but like he, he's solid. I, I don't know if he'll be top five, top ten tackle. Uh, are you good or solid, or do you want a little bit more? I guess that's a question that you have to have there. If you're going to wait till the second round, uh, Joe Wrights we had on earlier today, he mentioned Dylan Radins out of North Dakota State. He, he's a guy that... Uh, senior Bowl had a really strong week th- there. Again, we know what right. Chris thinks of that week and everything. And then uh, James Hudson out of Cincinnati, a uh, little bit raw, you know, had some penalties, but hasn't played a whole lot of tackle, and he's a pretty good athlete there as well. So, um, you know, to me, if you're going to make me pick out of Darisaw, Jenkins, Cosme, you know, I, I it, it's it's pretty even. Jenkins, but, you know, can he play left tackle? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cosme is a guy that I like, you know, from an athletic footwork standpoint. So that's the route that I, I, I would probably go. 
Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned the whole lazy or, or finish thing because that was my first thought as well. It's like, well, if you get next to Quentin Nelson, and those guys hold you accountable, do you yeah, you know can, exceed uh, expectations? That could whip you into shape real yeah. quick. Well, let's jump to the other side of the ball with the defensive ends. Yeah, you know the one that I think everyone is enamored with trait wise is Jason Oway, and that's who Zerline had mocked to the Colts at 21. Uh, you can't teach it, Chris. I mean, it's stupid, stupid traits. That he has four three crazy get off the broad jump the, the three cone, and Chris Ballard salivates over traits like we know that. So, um, can you get past the production? No sacks last year in seven games. I think he only started once his first two years at Penn State. If you can get past that, believe in your coaching, believe in your player development. That is what's going to say a lot because all these pass rushers and Rick and I were talking about this when we were texting earlier today. All these rushers are flawed. So you're going to have negative feedback on all of them. Mm-hmm. you got to have internal belief that your development can get the guy there. Um, to me, Quiddy Pay probably blends the best of great traits and some production. Now, it's not perfect, but I kind of like his build, a more of a compact rusher. I think he's got some toughness to play on three downs. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, I know he's kind of gotten a bad knock on him lately, I feel like. You know, maybe didn't test as well at uh, his pro day like Jalen Phillips, of course, did. But, hell, I mean, is Gregory Rousseau at 6'7 and 300? Like, is he Clayus Campbell? Yeah. Because if he's Clayus Campbell, I want him on my football hell team. Yeah. And, I mean, that next to DeForest Buckner? <laughs> right. You know, you could, you could get behind that. Phillips, you're obsessed with it, Chris. Uh, you know, you you love the traits. You love the production. But this dude has retired already from the game of football. Yeah. For concussions. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. The, obviously, I'd have to sift into it and look into it a little bit more. He'd be off my board. Like, that's just how I would have to look at it. In today's age of the NFL, I don't think you can take that risk. No, I, I agree. Um, And you hate it because, again, there are some mouthwatering characteristics he brings to the rush position. But that would be the worry there. I really like Joe Tryon, probably more of a second-round pick. I don't love that he opted out, but, you know, he seems like a strong character. He's got some good measurables. Um, some later-round guys that kind of caught my eye, Patrick Jones, um, Joshua Kando, um, Shaka Tony for Penn State as well. Again, I mean, these are kind of late-round guys, but um, they uh, they caught my eye as well. And then finally, the back half of that defense, you know, corners and safeties, who are guys there that are standing out to you? Boy, I do love J.C. Horn. I mean, I, I know corner 21 might not be the pick, and, and Greg Newsom is intriguing to me as well. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of picks when we talk about ball production, but a lot of passes defensed. A few injuries there, but he's a guy that's intriguing. A um, couple names, Eric Stokes out of Georgia, Paulson Adiba out of Stanford. Just, again, early day three, maybe. I I don't know, middle of day three. Safety-wise, I don't know if he's going to get to day three. But, man, every time I watched IU this year, I thought Jamar Johnson played pretty good football mm-hmm. for him. Uh, rangy. And I guess, what are you looking for at safety? Right. Are you looking for a range? Are you looking for the box? Are you looking for the Julian Blackman versatile again? I don't, I don't know. Like, I could probably be talked into a lot of things. But he's a guy um, that I think you could go with. Uh, Devin Diablo out of Virginia Tech, probably more of a box safety if you wanted to go that route. So those are just a few names kind of secondary-wise 
that, you know, round four, round five, somewhere around then, I could kind of see them coming off the board. Yeah, and based off safety, were you surprised that Odom signed the ten, like the tenure signs? Yeah. Were, just because obviously some of his displeasure, but like we yeah, knew, he, he wasn't probably going to find a contract better than what the Colts were going to offer him. Right, right he there. was chirping a little bit on social media, but yeah, I, you know, again, are people really going to overpay that much for a special teamer? No. Yeah. So, I uh, wasn't surprised. I guess we haven't talked since TJ Carey re-signed. I like it. You know, it's, it's funny, Chris, when you look at the blueprint that we carved out back in March, the four names we had coming back, they're all back. Yeah. Al-Kadid Muhammad, T.Y., Marlon Mack, and uh, now TJ Carey. He was needed. With Rock struggling, he was needed. Now, does this lessen the long-term need? No, long-term need is still there. I mean, TJ Carey and Xavier Rhodes will both turn 31 this year. Both are on one-year deals, but he is a guy that certainly should help, um, you know, just be a versatile option for you, which is really important on uh, on game days. Cool. Anyone else? No. That was it. Uh, those are the prospects that, you know, I, I, I like. Curious your guys' thoughts on that. We'll get more into this a little bit. Beers with Bowen and whatnot. Let's, uh, let's hit up that Lance Zerline interview. This is Lance, NFL draft analyst, NFL.com. On with me earlier this week with Dan Dockich. You got a great friend of Chris Ballard, so I hope you appreciate this, this insight. DD on vacation all week. Kevin Bowen filling in the next two days here on the Dan Dockich Show. Let's head to the hotline brought to you by Flight by Yingling. Lance Zerline, NFL.com. NFL Draft Analyst, Prospects to Pros podcast. A must listen for myself every week and lance joins us now lance thank you for the time man i know it's a busy busy time of year for you yeah i appreciate it thank you uh let's start here in indy we've kind of narrowed it down left tackle and edge rusher the two biggest needs um would you feel better about finding a starter at left tackle outside of round one um would you feel better at left tackle finding that starter or would you feel better at edge rusher uh, finding that starter outside of round one uh, probably a little better at um, edge rusher at finding a, a starter, but it is a pretty deep tackle draft, and so that's you know one of the advantages. It's rarely a deep tackle draft, but for the first time in really a long time, I think there are some legitimate potential starters around two through four, and so you know I do think you know left and right. Obviously, there can be a little bit of a difference, but. I think you have some left tackles, some guys who are going to be starting left tackles that maybe pop up even as uh, late as the third round. So I do think the Colts can potentially find that, but this is also there's some depth in terms of pass rush and typically what the what the Colts look for out of a pass rusher. So um, I would say based on those two needs, this is actually not a bad draft from a depth standpoint at either position. So that really benefits you know, the Colts, if they choose to trade back or or go in a different direction with the first-round pick because they, they find a player on the board that they just really, really covet, uh, you still have some – those are two positions that you still should have some action on day two. Interesting. I, I know uh, – I think it was your latest mock. I'm not sure if you've posted one since. You had Jason Owe going to the Colts mm-hmm. at number 21. You talk about traits. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know if there's anyone in the draft that – maybe sums that up more than him certainly traits over production what is it about Owe um that that had you slotted uh to go to the Colts at 21 well you know people forget he had seven sacks a year before and he's always making tackles uh, in terms of tackles for loss so he's got a lot of he, he does have some disruptive production in his background everyone focuses on you know uh 
sack numbers during the pandemic season with a, a team that frankly was a massive disappointment. But the reality is from a, what, what had me put him a in first round and then B with the Colts is that he's long limbed. He's explosive. Um, I know the Colts, you know, Eber Flash is, is kind of that same guy uh, that from the, the old Chicago bear type of uh, Rod Marinelli style of up the field guys and 255 pounds, 260 pounds. They don't have to be the 270 pound guys. They want them to be explosive, long limbed, and to be able to do some things from an athletic standpoint that a lot of players can't do. And that certainly is Jason Oway. So when you look at the traits, he's there. When you look at the explosiveness, he's there. And I know, I know Chris Ballard and many uh, general managers are big believers in coaches have jobs to do and coaches get paid for a reason. And that reason is to take the talent and to turn it into skilled, ta- skilled athleticism, which turns into skilled talent. And so if you're looking at Jason Owe, he has all the, all the ingredients are there. You just need a, you know, it just needs to be assembled to make the dish. And that's where the coaching comes in. So if you believe in your coaching, you trust your coaching, you're a little less worried about some of the production unless you see physical inabilities that, that will maybe preclude a guy from producing. But that doesn't really – there's a skill level that's not quite there all the way for Jason Oway. But in terms of the ability to do the things he needs to do, that's all there. You know, it's funny you say that. I feel like in the previous regime – drafting and then player development once you got those guys in the building just never on the same page there and I feel like it's kind of a forgotten part of the draft process Lance Zerline NFL.com draft analyst joining us now here on uh, the Dan Dockett show how would Oway compare to a fellow Big Ten rusher in Quiddy Pay who's a guy that I that I kind of like mm-hmm. uh, well so Quiddy Pay has a lot of the same you know explosive traits and characteristics he is bigger uh, from a standpoint of just, you know, broader, more powerful at the line of scrimmage. I think he is more NFL ready to play on on uh, on, on snaps one and snaps two uh, of, a, of a drive. You know, he's, he's going to be, I think, a little better fit on the run snaps from a game-by-game basis. His hand usage is much better than uh, Jason Owe, so that's another way that he's a little bit different. He's a little bit of a short strider which concerns me um, a little bit from a rush standpoint. I, that's why I think the higher ceiling from a rush standpoint is Jason Oway. But Quiddy Pay is a player who also has the rare physical traits for a guy his size. You know, I got to say, it, it's not unlike Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary had some of the same things, and he did not have big-time productivity all the time. And, and Quiddy Pay, for all the, the, the athletic marvel, you know, for the athletic marvel he is and the size and the explosiveness, he doesn't have quite the the production that you would expect either, and I don't think he's a real instinctive run defender in terms of his his anticipation and ability to get to where the gaps are going to be and to make plays against the run. So I think uh, Quiddy is more ready to go, and I think Quiddy might be a little safer than Jason Oway. Um, that's one of the primary differences between those two guys, I think, is, is Quiddy is more likely to be a double um, than Jason Oway is to be a home run. But if he's a home run, he's an all-pro player. And I do think Jason Oway has some some traits that are just extraordinarily rare. And, and Ballard doesn't mind swinging a bat, as you guys know. 
Yeah, Lance, I mean, you know this full well. Chris's draft history is, is very strong, but edge rusher has been a position where they've struggled mm-hmm. over the last three or four years. Do you think he's adjusted at all in what he's looking for? It has been heavy trait, heavy get-off seems to be the things that he loves with that edge rush group. Do you think he will or, or should adjust at all in maybe how he evaluates edge rushers? No, I think that um, I think what you look for is you know, remember where he's taking some of those guys uh, Toure was a little later in the draft, and I know that he had um, Taekwon Lewis, who they envision as being an interior rusher, and that has happened. But, no, I think Ballard, I think, and I think history really uh, bears this out. There's certain, there certain physical attributes that are the best for getting after a quarterback. And so I don't think, you know, now, now where, he go, where, where he goes to get those picks, what rounds he does it in, um, how he maneuvers around his own evaluations. You know, that's for he and his staff to uh, determine who the best rushers are. Banigou, to me, um, I thought that was a little bit of a reach at the time just because I just didn't think he was strong enough. Um, But I also think that's a potential learning experience as well. Uh, They moved him inside the linebacker, and they were trying to find something for Ben. And Ben was a heavy traits swing and miss. Uh, as a as an edge rusher, and so, you know, if they learn something, then maybe Jason Owe would not be that guy. But Owe honestly just is a better player on tape than Ben Banigan was. So, I think there's a big difference there. But no, I don't think you're going to see Ballard change. I think he's a believer in the process, and I think that's one of the strengths uh, of, of Chris Ballard over some of the other general managers. Is he's not easily swayed off of a process that he believes in, and that's why you'll have more consistency, I believe. Uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. And it's no different than tackle. Like, it's the same concept for an offensive tackle that he has for a a defensive end. It's really not different. There's a concept behind it, and he stays with the concept. And I'm I'm all in. I just disagree sometimes with some of the players, just like, you know, I will with any general manager. But the process in, in which they go about it, I don't have a problem with what Ballard's done so far. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the right players. Lance, I want to throw a couple quick ones at you before we let you go because I know you're on a bit of a time crunch. At left tackle at 21, starters at that spot. Tevin Jenkins is a guy that I love, but he didn't play a whole lot of left tackle at Oklahoma Mm -hmm. State. And I feel like here locally, a lot of fans have seen a popular selection be Christian Derisau out of Virginia Tech. Uh, Thoughts on, on, on those two guys? I like Derisau as a left tackle. I think he's really talented. He's just kind of a slow burn player who doesn't always finish blocks and, you know, and, and can get a little bit lazy sometimes, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, the talent is there, though. He's very talented. Ted, Jenkins, my problem with Jenkins is I don't know if he's an NFL left tackle. So I, I do know Christian Derisau is an NFL left tackle, at least from a physical standpoint, the ability, all of that. I don't think that's really the case with Jenkins, and that's that would be one of my concerns with Jenkins is is playing him out at left tackle on a full time basis. I'm just I'm not sure I'm in on that. I do like Elijah Vera Tucker a little bit better as a potential left tackle, and he has short arms, which is not something that Ballard typically is going to look for from a trait standpoint. But he's very good at the position. He understands how to play left tackle. He's great with his timing and his hands and the tightness of his hands and his punch. My dad worked with him a little bit. He's a longtime NFL and, and college football offensive line coach. Um, worked with Elijah Vera Tucker, and he's got some concerns about arm length, but he just said, you know, the way he plays, 
he plays longer than the arm length. So, frankly, if you're looking for a left tackle, it wouldn't be Jenkins. You'd rather swing the bat on a guy like uh, Elijah Vera Tucker because even though he lacks the arm length, he's got a good core you know, base and anchor that he can play with. And if he misses, you, you can just bump him down inside the guard where he'll be a long-time starter or even swing him out to right tackle and, you know, look at left tackle via free agency or the draft next year. But um, there's some, there's some still some left tackle potential guys in, in, you know, you've got some guys still in rounds two and rounds three. So don't reach at 21, wait and let it come to you. And I, I think that's what you'll see. The, the I think you'll see the Colts, let it come to him as it, as it pertains to offensive line. And then lastly, Lance, tight end-wise, I know it's not a great depth class. Obviously, Kyle Pitts is you know high atop Mount Rushmore yeah. all by himself. But guys like Brevin Jordan, Tommy Trumbull, I mean, could the Colts find you know a, a more of a receiving threat at tight end, maybe late day two, early day three? Um, possibly. I'm not a big fan of the tight end class. Um, I, I think Trimble's a guy that I like a lot. He's tough. Now that now that smells like a Chris Ballard potential guy, but because Trimble will block you, you can play him on the move. He gives a guy like Frank uh, um, Frank Reich an opportunity to really uh, flex his muscles a little bit from from the standpoint of having an athlete who can be a move tight end. You can play him on the line. You can play him off the ball to wing. You can have him lead blocking. He can get out in space. He's got good speed, and he's tough. And And I think that he's the kind of guy that, that offers upside, and it offers those traits that we talked about. Just needs to catch football. I mean, his hands just aren't great. That's a little bit of a problem, but he's got a lot of potential, and he's a dog, too. He'll get after you. So, Trimble's a guy that I would love for the Colts in the uh, third, but I think he's going to go late second to early third. So you have to be in position uh, to make that happen. But I like him. Not as big a Brevin Jordan fan personally. Um, I don't think he really is going to move the needle as much for what the Colts like to do. Lance, anything we should uh, keep an eye out uh, for uh, coverage-wise? I'm sure you got one more mock in you, don't you? (laughs) I'll probably do one more the week of the draft. And uh, I'll be tightening up the uh, draft profiles at NFL.com. If you go to draft and go to prospects under that, you can find all my scouting reports with 475 players, and I'll be adding draft projections based on conversations I'm having with teams from around the league. And uh, so hopefully you get a better understanding of where um, I believe guys should go based on the knowledge I have. 475, Jesus. It usually uh, go 500, but it was an off year this year. Yeah, slacking. I guess blame it, blame it oh. on the pandemic. Lance Zerline, awesome, awesome insight. Prospects to Pros is the podcast as well with Dane Brugler, who we had on last week. Lance, thank you for the time, man. You got it. Thanks a lot. That's Lance Zerline right there on the hotline. Brought to you by Flight by Yingling, the next generation of light beer. Well, there you go. Lance Zerline um, joining us. What do you think? I like the insight. Uh, you know, I, I liked, again, how you mentioned prior to going into that interview, just his thoughts on some of the defensive end talent that might fall to us. And also him talking about the offensive tackle class. Yeah, you know, he um, he does really good work. The, that number of prospects that he's been Writing up is a big, big number. Mm-hmm. Obviously, only what two fifty or so get drafted, but you got to have full preparation there. Yep. Uh, you never know what those names are going to be called on day three. So, hope you guys enjoyed that. Well, Kev, should we jump into Twitter questions? Let's do it, man. All right. The first one comes from Alec. What positions can we rule out entirely round one? And if the board doesn't fall, 
it's, the board doesn't fall the way that we hope, and we go best player available, what positions can we rule out? Um, yeah, quarterback, running back. Yeah, I, mean, I assume tight end just because I don't see Kyle Pitts falling that far. Mm-hmm. I think interior offensive linemen, that's a little too rich for me that early in the draft. Defensive tackle, it sounds like just a horrific defensive tackle class. Uh, and I, I think linebacker and safety, I mean, I, I think you can cross off a lot. You know, when Rick and I were talking earlier today, him and I are the same belief. The fact that the Colts didn't pay for an edge rusher, slash when you look at left tackle, the last two years in the draft, mainly the last year especially, but you could go back maybe the year before that. Once Anthony Costanzo starts talking about retirement, you draft a tackle, Mm -hmm. and you do it a little bit earlier. No tackles drafted last year. And then the year before that, you obviously had Jackson Barton in the seventh round. Jackson Barton's not, not even on the football team, so... It's interesting. We've never seen Ballard draft a tackle. Braden Smith wasn't drafted to play tackle. Right. So we don't really know his traits that he's looking for. But what what, what Rick and I were, were getting at is you've kind of cornered yourself. Two picks in the first 120, don't they have to be left tackle and edge? If you wait, I don't know if you can rely on day one starting talent at that spot there. So I know I just named a lot of positions, Alec, but I guess I could maybe see a corner or a wide out. But still. All right, we got a hypothetical from Grady. Michael? <laughs> Not Michael. Well, maybe. You never okay. know. All right. In between Brooklyn games, just yeah, sure. right into the show. He's a Colts fan. Said no tradebacks, even though I'm team tradeback. Here's option one. You sign Russell Lacoon or Alejandro Villanueva to a one-year deal to be your left tackle. Then in round one, you draft an edge. You draft offensive tackle round two. Draft a tight end in round four. Or here's option two. You sign Houston or Ingram to a one-year deal, draft an offensive tackle in round one, edge in round two, corner in round four, and by the way, hopes everyone is doing well in Indiana, so it might be Michael Grady. Hey, thanks, Grady, for checking in. Um, You know, I'm probably that gung-ho on tight end, I take option one. I like edge in round one. Mm-hmm. I do, but... Um, you know, the Okung, Villanueva, okay, sure. Uh, but I just think tight end is what stands out to me. And, you know, edge in round one is also something that I like. So I'll go there. Thank you, Grady. Hope all is well on Yes Network. <laughs> this one's from Walker. What does Carson Wentz's first game stat line have to be for there to be zero, quote, bring in Eason, end quote, tweets after the game? <laughs> Says, keep up the good work with Tipsy Picks. Appreciate that and loves the pod and always loves following along. I love it. I love it, Walker. Uh, there's no stat line whatsoever. Right. That, that, yeah. could, that could calm all of that. Uh, in all seriousness, first, you got to end, end the streak, right? Yeah, What's you got to win that first game. You know, seven, eight years, end the streak. Um, But no, I don't know, 275, couple touchdowns, 60-some percent pass, 67% passing. I don't – yeah, Walker, oh, boy. Now I'm already starting to think about that. See, the schedule's <laughs> going to be announced here in a few weeks. I did, yeah. May 12th. Love it. But, yeah, so we'll get uh, – you know, Carson Wentz can start breaking down film on that uh, week one opponent. As if May and Indy isn't busy enough already. Right. 
Okay, this one is from Sam. What likelihood do you think the starting defensive ends for week one are Al-Kadeem Muhammad at left defensive end and Tyquan Lewis at right defensive end? Says, I understand it's hard to predict this pre-draft. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. I'd say you got to go here. First, I'd say very good, honestly, because first and second down duties are different than mm. others. Now, I think Isaac Rochelle could potentially start yep. for Tyquan Lewis if you really want Lewis to be that you know three technique kind of rotating in. But you know, again, first and second down, not third down. So yeah, I, I think that's a very good chance. Saying that those two are the starters, and I'd put Rochelle in there before Kamako Terry. Kevin Isaac wants to know what are two positions that you would be surprised that we address in the draft, and two positions that you would be surprised if we didn't address in the draft. Uh, I guess kind of similar to the first one. <clears throat> Left tackle DN, mm-hmm. be surprised. Uh, kicker, <laughs> I'd be surprised if they <laughs> took quarterback, running back, linebacker, a little bit, defense tackle. So, yeah, but certainly left tackle DN would be the ones I'd be real surprised by. All right, Kev from Reddit. This guy says, uh, I feel like the fact that Hilton is not a scheme fit is never brought up by anyone in the media. Teams that run Reich's offense literally do not draft guys under 6'2 without thick frames and downfield wide receiver positions. Paris Campbell, a little bit of a different story. Says, I know the understanding by the fans that fuels 85% of the disconnect about who we do and don't sign or draft. Is this something that you could speak about? Yeah, I mean, does Hilton have the ideal frame? No, but if you can't use T.Y. Hilton, that's an issue with your scheme to be Frank. And, I mean, Frank Reich wants to throw it vertically. And T.Y. is a great vertical threat. So I don't fully agree with that, to be honest with you. Um, again, not the most ideal fit from a frame stance, sure. But at the same time, look at this team without T.Y. Hilton under Frank Reich. What are they, 1-8, and 1-7? You know, it's like yeah. he means something. So – just because that personnel was not handpicked by you doesn't mean that your scheme is too high and mighty for it. Like, come on now. Yeah. Why it feels like with the ample amount of vaccines and therapeutics now available to teams of players and staffs, he wants to know why the player union is pushing for another virtual offseason with no OTAs. Feels like the NFL pulled off a full season of games and practices just fine. Full participation of OTAs can be figured out as well. Says, I hope the Colts players view OTAs as critical to building a contender and opt for in-person team ses- team sessions. I feel the union is misguided in their advocacy for virtuality. What are your thoughts there? Well, boy, this is I mean, you go you could talk forever on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, simply players just don't want to go back to those cities for a thousand dollars a week or however much you get paid to take part in the voluntary part of the off season. I mean, I think we all just have to have the understanding this is the new age of athlete and player controlment. And unless it's mandatory, unless they're getting paid a good amount, they're not going to do it. And guys would much rather train in Miami and wherever, L.A. and Dallas and wherever their off-season homes are. And Right. I mean, it's been collectively bargained. Like, there's not a lot, a whole lot around it. Um, now, you know, part of me says, well, I mean, team facilities, I would argue, are safer than where you're training around the country. And then obviously if you get hurt in the team facility, it's a lot different than getting hurt 
outside of the team facility as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to see OTAs. I'd love to see a mandatory minicamp. But, you know, if I'm a player, I don't have a workout bonus. I, sure, you would team camaraderie and being around you. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, Mike Chappell always reminds me of the great Edger and James quote of, you know, I only went to college for two and a half, three years, but I know what the term voluntary means. <laughs> like, that's a great quote. It's, it, it's voluntary, folks. So that's where we're at. Jordan wants to know your thoughts on if we could see DeForest Buckner playing out on the edge at some point this season, along with Ben Banigou playing some linebacker. Says Chris Ballard said when they drafted him that he might be able to play some Sam in the future. Yeah, that's interesting on the Buckner front. You know, I rush downs, Chris, like it's all about matchups. If you have a tackle that you're faced that week and you feel like that tackle's weak, and a bull rush would get to him or something yeah. like that, or length would get to him. Sure. Um, of course, who would then rush inside? I don't know, Taekwon and somebody else. But, yeah, I mean, Banigou, I mean, are you really making another position switch for him? I mean, I've never seen Ben Banigou take a linebacker rep in practice. Not one. And, like, the third linebacker is just kind of weird. So, I really think the Colts need him at edge. Like, you need edge guys right now. You need Ben Banigou to emerge. Yeah. Bam, if Ben Banigou shows up this year, oh, my gosh, that could do so much for this football team for 2021 and beyond. Because I think he's got three-down ability. Like, I think he has the capability to potentially one day be a three-down player. I don't know if I worded that right. But basically what I'm getting at is Kamoko Terry's never going to be a three-down guy. Ben Banigou, maybe. Yeah. Right. Could. We'll see. All right, this one's from John. He wants to know, with the talent of Kyle Pitts and how good he looks, does he make other tight ends in this draft look a little less worth what they are? <laughs> and do you think that the Colts could probably get a solid tight end late in the draft due to that? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like what Tiger Woods did to the game of golf. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, those guys are still pretty freaking good. Right. Um, you know, I, I, Pitts is generational, but like if you do look at some of these tight ends and their production in college, you're like, what? Like it's not like he's just overshadowing them by that that much. Um, if there are other quality players there, you would see them ranked, I think, accurately. I just feel like in today's world, like you can get a tight end kind of early day three, um, but by all accounts, just the draft depth isn't great at that position. So I hear you, John, but I don't think it's that much. That's the case. From Randall, what's good, KB? Mm. Hope you're well. What sort of balance should we expect for the offense this year? Obviously, a stacked backfield, but the obvious upgrade at quarterback as well. Lots of touches to be had. Who gets them? Personally, he wants to see 40 run plays and RPOs included per game at least. Whoa. Wonder Jeez. who was the last team to rush more than 50% of the time on offense. Thanks for always taking the time, and shout-out to Chris. Appreciate that, Randall. Oh, I love it, Randall. Shout-out to Chris Presley for sure. And shout out to Tipsy Picks. How we, how we, uh, how we doing over there? We're starting to trend back in a positive direction. Baseball's so hard, man. We yeah, baseball once baseball hard. started, we kind of slumped a little bit, but we're snowing, working yeah. our way back up. Still positive on the year, so appreciate. I love that. it, um, Randall. First off, there's a lot. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I guarantee you the Ravens ran it over fifty percent of the time. I'm gonna bet the Titans did too last year, and I. I'm going to venture to guess the Patriots did. Like, I mean, Hager's good. I mean, those teams are so heavy run focused. 
I, I'm a big believer in game planning week to week. Can you lean on it? Open things up in the pass game, play action, advantageous personnel groupings. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm kind of at, Randall. So I think it would surprise you. There are a little bit more teams than than most. All right, Kevin. Dan wants you to rank these players in terms of their 2021 contribution. Tyquan Lewis, Kamoko Ture, Ben Banigou, Rakusen. Oh, boy. Give him, give, give him to me again. Tyquan Lewis, Kamoko Ture, Ben Banigou, Rakusen. Jeez. That's a tough question. It is tough. I think <laughs> I mean, you Dan- can kind of ball and cup, kind of move all these guys right, around a right. little bit. Um, I'll go Lewis. Boy, you hope Ture. I know you do. Yep. Lewis, Ture, Yassine, Banigou. All right. I do think if Ture's healthy, he's there. Mm-hmm. Tyquan Lewis had a pretty good year last year. I feel yeah. like that kind of got lost in the don't group Tyquan Lewis in with Ture and Banigou. Like he, I mean, he, he had a really nice year. Yeah, for what he did in the, the snaps that he had. Yeah. With Rock, man, I just think it's so metal. Yeah. But a new possession coach, who knows? This one is from Colton. What is going on with Moali Cox? He was a monster when Indy targeted him last year, but it seems like they aren't completely sold on him being the starter, and it also seems like we're looking to add another tight end in the draft. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, they haven't made a move yet at tight end, so I think they're somewhat sold on him. I mean, Ballard and right, Ballard always loved him. Always loved him. I just think you need another tight end because Jack Doyle's 31, and I think Stephen Holder mentioned this. Uh, he thinks this year could be Jack Doyle's last, or you heard that it's a possibility, which you know that's not shocking. Like Jack Doyle's played in the year in the league for nearly a decade, he's had a great living. And, yep. Uh, he can happily ride off into the sunset with you know Casey and his two sons, but um, yeah, I don't think it's any sort of indictment on Mo Ali Cox. You need multiple tight ends in the system. Jack Doyle's getting up there in age and. I keep on saying you need a tight end that looks different than Moali Cox. You kind of, you know, runs differently, acts differently, acts differently. That was stupid. <laughs> um, you know, plays differently. Yeah. More, more of that receiving threat. Kevin Corey loves the podcast. Thanks, Corey. Corey Zadonis, legend. Corey Zadonis took me on a tour of foul golf course at IU. Love that man. Nice. Love that golf course. Looks beautiful. His question is, what is your realistic dream scenario for the Colts' first two picks? For instance, for him, he would love to get Jalen Phillips in round one and Liam Eichenberg in round two. I got the uh, second shot yesterday, Chris, 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Boy, that headache's starting to come. You feeling it? Feel it. Feel it good. <laughs> um, okay, give it, give it to me again. What are your What's your dream realistic scenario? Realistic dream the, scenario? Yeah. He wants Jalen Phillips one, Eichenberg two? Correct. Ooh, boy. Man, let's go Quiddy Pay one, and for some reason he drops Sam Cosme two. All right. You got anything you, you like? I'm. I have no clue what's gonna happen. <laughs> I I'm kind of shocked you went D in first. Yeah, but if it's your dream just, scenario I, and like the like, I I just feel like you can rely on the draft depth. And it was interesting. I thought Lance Erline brought this up that the the depth at edge rusher. It's kind of, kind of coming. Yeah, he feels like it's better than people are giving it credit for. So that's interesting to me. Now, obviously, you guys know Prop Swap sponsors this podcast. You go up there and you find some draft props right now. Ooh, 
that's my favorite thing. That is awesome. See these over-unders, where are these guys going to get picked, how many quarterbacks in round one, all those things. So, um, certainly, you guys got to check that out over the next week, just from an entertainment standpoint, to see where is Kyle Pitts going to be the first down quarterback taken, which wideout is going to come off the board second of the Alabama, you know, which Alabama wideout is going to be taken first after mm-hmm. Jamar Chase. Seemingly, Chase is going to be the first wideout taken. Uh, something is just fascinating. I love it. Yep. All right, JJ, loyal listener, writes oh, and, in. and real quick, I think Prop Swap's got a hundred dollar. Uh, if you're a new user, yeah, you can uh, get a hundred dollars from. Love so check it. Check out that uh, that promo code up on the site as well. Love it. Who doesn't love a free hundred dollars? Amen, brother. All right, All right for- last night, real quick. Yeah. Last night, I think I'm. Um, I take a twenty-five dollar home run bet on. Um, they had a promo on FanDuel, and I, uh, I'm like, all right, let me pick the game where the highest runs are going to be scored. So I find it. Okay, Ra- Rangers, Angels. Okay, uh, okay, Mike Trout, best odds for the for the homer. And if you got anyone else that hit a homer in the game, you got five bucks. Okay, so it's you know enticing to try and win your money back in case your guy doesn't hit homer. I wake up last night at two a.m. A little groggy, took some Nyquil. Trying to get this voice back to normal. Uh, don't know if that was smart, but whatever. Roll over, look at my phone. I'm like, oh, no homer for Trout. I'm like, Shh. go back to bed. Wake up this morning, open up my account. I'm like, whoa, why is there money in there? I was looking at Monday. Looking <laughs> at Monday's results. He killed that. The one. hardest hit home run in Major League Baseball history? Yes. Or, I mean, obviously. Since, since the, the era, yeah. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Well, it was, I, I still haven't seen the highlight. Just a bullet line drive. Uh, Per, uh no, it was like 446 feet. Jesus, one of those Mike Trout ones that like, yeah, it, it comes off the bat and you're like, well, you're that's just gone. A freak. Like the outfielders just look at it, right? Yeah. Gosh, I I hope they get good. I'd love to see him in the playoffs. He he deserves to be there. That is for sure. All right, this one's from JJ. Chris Ballard is unpredictable with the draft. There doesn't seem to be any urgency from the owner for rapid results. In her opinion, he traded the 13th pick to go interior D lineman. Then he traded. Then he traded or drafted an offensive guard with the sixth overall pick. What might he do this year in the first few first few rounds that will surprise fans? My guess, he will pass on a left tackle until the fourth or fifth round and instead draft an interior D lineman or a linebacker. Wow. What are your thoughts there, Kev? Yeah, that's a lot. How about take a kicker? Why not? 21 overall. Isn't that where, what's his name, went? Seabass? Oh, Sebastian Janikowski. Oh, yeah. Legends. Legend, um, I got some. I got a little pushback on the. I want to create competition for Hot Rod. When you said draft one in the seventh round, yeah, and, and, and I don't know. Maybe draft is a little premature, but undrafted free agent. Like, I think an un, Hot Rod had a really nice rookie year. Really nice rookie year. So she has an undrafted free agent, replacing Vinatieri, all that. But the leg is a question. It's an unknown. Do you see what the Buffalo kicker did in the playoffs? Right. That rookie kicker mm-hmm. in that weather, their offense stalls out. What I mean, that that one he hit in the fourth quarter had to be had to be over fifty two, three, something like that. And the other one he hit late first half was super long. So that's where or maybe the other one was third quarter. Like your offense is stalled out. Like penalties happen. It's a team sport. Like shit happens. Right. <laughs> and so do you have a kicker? That can help you score more points. I don't know. It sounds so elementary to say it like that, but um, I don't know. You just bring in a kicker and 
if they both go 80% or 85% on other kicks and that dude can make it from 55 a little bit more consistently, boom. There you you go. need competition regardless. I mean, even when Vinatieri was clearly going to be our kicker every season, they still brought guys in. Yeah, just in the offseason. I mean, why not kick the tires? You have the ability to do it. You might as well. Amen. Uh, I'd be stunned with those two positions, by the way. You know, probably the pass catcher early. That would be something, but yeah. All right, David wants to know if the Colts move Nelson to left tackle, do you think we go for edge or corner first? They say this draft is weak at edge, but very good at corner. If a guy like Jace Horn falls at 21 with Quiddy Pay, it also at 21, who are you taking? Who helps the pass rush more? Is it Pay or is it Horn giving the edge more time to get to the quarterback? I think it's edge. You know, I think um, in this defense, we've always had the question of like, what about corner? You know, it's. Rush four, drop seven, heavy zone look. You really got to get home with that four. So now Ursay threw in corner a few weeks back, you know, and as we tape this, he's about ready to go on with JMV. So we'll see if some things are a little bit different from the owner. But yeah, I would say edge. I, I, I'd go with pay there. Matt mentions that you've pointed out that the Colts line and the Eagles line were comparably ranked and Carson's completion percentage was just fine even when Reich left. Did I say that? If Carson wasn't the reason for his own poor performance in 2020, what do you attribute it to? While I get the poor relationship with Doug Peterson and the organization, could that have been part of it? And that feels flimsy to me. Or maybe I'm just overlooking how young some of these guys really are. Yeah, I mean, there were 13 or 14, what, different combinations for the Eagles. I mean, that's much more different than what you had here in Indianapolis. Um, you know, I think there's just a general disconnect, Matt. You know, I had on uh, Shiel Kapadia from The Athletic today when I was filling in for Dan, and he helped write that article we talked about in last week's pod about the Wentz issues, or not the Wentz issues, the Eagles-related issues and Carson, you know, and involved with some of that stuff. Did you watch that with the next pick last week? I did, and I only saw the first episode. So they the, the intro last week was him and was Wentz and, and Reich, and they talked about how you know, Reich picked him up at, I don't know, a pro day in Fargo or a workout in Fargo, and they're driving together, and, like, they had the same Bible verse on their phone or the same Bible verse, like, maybe on the background or something. And, like, that stuff I don't take lightly in their relationship. Like, yeah. what? Oh, my gosh. Like, that's a, you know, for people that are incredibly into their faith, that is a super, super serious bonding moment. And clearly, those two are two of those people. Um, you know, there was a another report from Philly a few weeks back, I forget where I read it, where Jeffrey Lurie wanted, I believe him, or maybe Howie Roseman, wanted to fire Reich after the 2016 season, the first season he was there as OC. And Carson Wentz didn't want it to happen, so he didn't fire him. Rookie quarterback not want his OC to be fired? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's some pull. Like, But that's the relationship that they have. So... Um, yeah, I, I just think those two are so, so freaking close. So, yeah, I mean, they'll lie a little bit banged up, some disconnect. The skill group wasn't great. All those factors to me. All right, five more questions for this Kevin's Corner podcast. This one's coming from Connor. Let's say the impossible happens and Paris Campbell is healthy for a good part of the season. Ah, that hurts. Who's going to get more snaps, Pittman or Campbell? Also, Will our wide receiver number one next year affect the playing time for either? For example, if it's T.Y., does that mean more snaps for Pittman? Oh, Pitt, I mean, 
Pittman was out snapping Hilton last year. Yeah, I mean, Pittman for sure. He's a, he's a great blocker. Yeah, I think about that aspect to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Michael Pittman is going to play and going to play a lot. A lot. <laughs> Kevin Tristan wants to know, is Nick Sirianni an undercover agent for the Colts who was sent to Philadelphia to send Carson Wentz to Indy for a bargain? Should the Colts fans be concerned what, about what Chris Ballard and Frank Reich now <laughs> owe Sirianni? How about Sirianni just getting ripped today for playing rock, paper, scissors with a draft prospect? I was going to say, does Ballard just call up Sirianni and they play rock, paper, scissors to see? Dude, <laughs> if I were a draft prospect and they got me on Zoom and play rock, paper, scissors, I'd be so freaking happy. They're not asking me the same old questions they've asked every other team. I'm like, yeah, what do you think? You think I'm coming with a little scissor action? You think I got a little paper here? Um, <laughs> I do think the whole Sirianni, Wentz, Reich, I, I, I think that's all kind of weird. And I... Part of me, again, comes back to the point of, I think Wentz more or less demanded a trade. Mm-hmm. You know, if Reich believed, I would think Sirianni believed. And like Wentz, you know, we've his wife, you know, from the Midwest. I mean, there are other reasons, not just Reich-related, why he wanted to be an indie. But, yeah, it is, it is kind of odd. Daniel says, I see the glaring differences in the types of strengths that we can see between our offense run by Philip Rivers compared to Carson Wentz for both good and the bad. I know the run game will still be present and significant. As for the passing game, are we to believe the deeper style passing game with which Wentz was successful in Philly with Reich is coming is coming compared to the shorter underneath and dump passes that we had with Philip Rivers? Yeah, Daniel. I mean, I I do think we'll see a little bit more of that. You know, the seam passer is something I've mentioned a lot. Carson is, you know pretty darn good with now rivers was so effective with the short underneath and dumps and ball placement with that stuff and Mm -hmm. that's where i do think carson has got to get a little bit better and that's where i think in-person otas to go back to wyatt's question would be so beneficial to the colts just to get some on-field stuff doing that with those pass catchers in an 11 on 11 type setting right all right a good one here from jason kevin could you explain a little more about how the compensation picks work for coaches since we've lost four coaches to the Eagles, do we get anything in return from the Eagles or the NFL? And would all these coaches not have contracts that they couldn't get out or out of the Colts sign off and allow them to move? Um, you know, I if I'm not mistaken, Jason, I'm pretty sure that's just for the minority coaches that have been promoted, like Robert Saleh to the Jets or David Cauley to the Ravens. Like I think when you talk compensatory picks, if I'm not mistaken, it's simply if, I think I have this right, if you are a minority coordinator or position coach, I guess, and you get promoted to be a head coach somewhere, that other team, like the 49ers are getting a comp pick. The Ravens are getting a comp pick. That's the impression that I'm under. Okay. So I guess it would have to take Marcus Brady, for example, you know, becoming a head coach somewhere else i i I think all right we're going to round out this podcast with an andrew luck question oh boy what do we got from isaac i I guess there was some andrew luck news on peter king this morning and dan patrick you see that i did not like they called the the colts called luck before they traded for wins just to see if there was any chance oh no of course you're calling that dude yeah you don't have your future quarterback you're gonna ask him how's lucy's diapers and then boom yeah, it's like, what are you calling for? Oh, yeah, by the way, right. while I have you. Yeah, your lawn looked a little, yeah, I just want some spring 
pre-emergent to be thrown down there. So, hey, the the lunch with Jimmy was accurate, huh? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't get me started. All right, from Isaac, if you could choose between having Andrew Luck back or Carson Wentz in his 2017 MVP form, what do you choose? Oh, boy. Um, so Wentz hasn't torn his ACL? Correct. What luck am I getting? He just says if you could have luck back, so I'm imagining just right now. Yeah, I uh, I take luck. I mean, Andrew Luck won four playoff games and five trips to the playoffs, four trips to the playoffs. Yeah, he won four trips to playoffs, four playoff games. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Carson a little bit unknown in January, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't know age, I guess. I should probably factor that in and post-labrum and all that, but I'll go Andrew. All right. Is that all? That is all the Twitter questions for this week. Awesome. Um, Hope you guys enjoyed. Lance Zerline, like I said, no podcast next week. We will come with Lance Zerline. Not Lance Zerline. This is where, you know, I'm just just losing it at this point in the pod. Um, Beers of the Bone, 8 p.m. I'll be refreshed. Shout out to Ross Lovers, my little brother-in-law, and his beautiful fiance Mackenzie Weiser. They're getting married this weekend. Congratulations. Cannot wait for that. It shall be a party. Um, it'll be a splendid, splendid time. And then we uh, then we get ready for the draft. We will have some podcasts, I should say, after the draft. Like uh, I'll do an emergency pod probably Thursday, mm-hmm. maybe Friday night. We'll see. But, yeah, then we'll probably come back the week after that, maybe Monday, just kind of that full recap pod after the draft. But, yeah, Beers of Bowen, 8 p.m., Wednesday night, YouTube, 107.5 The Fan. Cannot wait. He's Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you Wednesday night.